so my guest today, Olga, has a belief that free will does not exist. And that's a pretty popular, uh, famous question debate that's been going on in philosophy, science, a lot of different circles. Um, and it's interesting because she comes through it, comes to it from a very scientific perspective. Um, she is a scientist by trade, and she believes, based on the evidence she sees, based on the information we have, that if you really look at it, we don't actually have decision-making power. We don't actually control the decisions we make. Um, to take it even a step further, she believes that we actually shouldn't have much pride for things that we have accomplished. If anything, we should just have gratitude because we were lucky enough, fortunate enough for it to happen. It wasn't based on anything we did. And if you dig into it, as you'll hear in the conversation, it's rooted in this idea that um, we didn't pick our genetics. We didn't pick the circumstances we were born into. We didn't pick our lived experiences. All these things form so much of who we are, how we make decisions, how we think that although it feels like we have free will, it feels like we're making these decisions independently. We're not. We can't separate ourselves from our past. And it's a really fascinating concept to explore. So I really enjoyed talking about it with her. Um, but what makes these conversations so cool is that they're so rich with good discussion like that because there's so many different aspects to it. Um, obviously, you could debate free will. Does it exist? Does it not? What are the implications of it not existing? Olga believes it would make us more humble, more caring, increase our overall quality of life. But how do we know that? Do we know people would be better off? Uh, perhaps it could go the other direction. And if free will doesn't exist, does that mean that our lives are kind of meaningless? Because how can any decision actually matter that I make if I didn't have the free will to decide it anyway? If I'm kind of just along for the ride, why does any of this matter? And then you can't help but get into some spiritual sides of this, even though Olga does look at it from a very scientific perspective. Uh, when you start talking about meaning, well, who did start it? <laughs> who, who is actually controlling this thing then? So many interesting aspects and discussions uh, that we had. Um, and Olga was just a great person to, to kick around these questions with because as a scientist and a philosopher and somebody who recently just wrote a book on this very topic, um, a novella, it, we really were able to dive into it in some depth. So big thanks to Olga for being on. Um, really, really interesting conversation and I hope you guys enjoy. All right, Olga, thank you so much for being here. Really excited to talk to you. Appreciate you making the time. Um, I like to dive right into it, so I will. And I'll ask you the question of what's the value, what's the belief, the perspective that's most important to you? Uh, well, thank you so much for inviting me. I'm so happy to be here. And uh, what I would like to talk about is the value of not believing in free will. Mm -hmm. This is something I'm really passionate about and something that also... Uh, something that is expressed in, uh, hopefully, very strongly and clearly in my uh, fiction book, Just City. Uh, and uh, but today I actually wanted to share with you and your listeners the pros and cons <laughs> of not believing in free, in free will. And um, I probably first should define that free will is... Um, can be defined as meaning one could have done it otherwise being the same person and the same under the same circumstances mm -hmm. one could have done otherwise so um, so that's super interesting so i want to get into the book because i know the book explains it and and we'll get into that piece of it of kind of the what the book's about and how you kind of communicate that through the book which i think is super interesting as a scientist that you kind of have this you've written a novel to kind of get to that but um, so let me play back to the free will point, or at least dig on, dig in on that just a little bit. So the idea is, um, as I understand it and correct me on it, that, um, 
in effect, we, we don't really have a choice. We couldn't have done it otherwise is kind of the belief that you're putting forth. The reason to not believe in free will is this belief that everything that we think we're deciding, those decisions actually aren't our own. We couldn't have done it any differently. So yes. I've thought about this a lot as, as from a philosophical perspective, um, but I'll put this out there just to let you respond to it because often what I think people think right away is, but, but I could decide right now. Like I could decide to close my computer and turn off this interview and go jump in my car and drive into a tree. And they often will use that as proof of like, no, 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 I do have free will. Yes. What, what yes. do you say back to that? It's a great point. It's a great point. It feels like we have free will. This is, it's so counterintuitive. Actually, it's one of my cons that it's counterintuitive to not believe in free will. Mm -hmm. And of course, um, but to, to that uh, objection, one can object that, you, your brain that decides to do it is not something you have chosen. Mm -hmm. It was a sequence of events, how the brain formed. And you definitely didn't choose <laughs> which, 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 which sperm, which every, every single event, every gene you haven't chosen, everything that has led to this decider. Uh, and yes, but you're right. There is definitely like, it feels absolutely like we are deciding and we, the machine decides given all the input, the, the brain machine basically is deciding uh you can call it deciding yeah mm -hmm. yeah the way i think of it is i'm curious if you think it's the same you, you're right like there's there's pieces to it like the first piece is how does the brain even formulate the input that it's looking at like where does that input come from and i think what you would say and what you're saying is some of that's through genetics and and family history and things like that that are just innate in you some of it's through lived experiences some of it's through things that our parents directly taught us whatever it might be there's all these inputs which we didn't choose we were just given um then even the process our brain does to decide and make sense of those inputs in many ways like we're not choosing that either like our brain just makes functions and functions the way it does based on those inputs so it's a little bit circular but it's not like um we have full control to say i'm going to think completely differently and i'm going to function a different way in how i make decisions yeah. it's just it's something again that we didn't choose so yeah. although there is a decision being made and information is being looked at as I think you're saying, it's like our agency in that, like the part we, we, whatever we is plays in it is actually non-existent, I guess you would say. Yes. It's, you know, uh, I'm, I work as an associate professor of neuroimaging at UCSF in San Francisco. And, uh, you know, I look at brain images of people. I can see like white matter connections and different areas, and we can study different things. Like, for example, we can study uh, altruism, you know, how altruistic people behave. And, you know, you, you like look at someone's brain and you see, okay, there is very dense white matter connection between temporal lobe and like frontal area. And like, Hey, did that person come and say, oh, yeah, you know, I want to have a very, very thick, very, very well myelinated area that will make me super compassionate, you know, like in mm -hmm. science, we, we just know that mind is what the brain does. We study the brain, we look at how it is and like, how much can you claim about what your, your brain looks like? You don't even know what your brain mm -hmm. looks like. Yeah, so, yeah. It's very true. It's very true. And as you said, it's it's the way in which like even the, the biases, the blind spots, all these parts of our brain, which dictate how it functions, how a decision is being made, because, again, they're just channeling those people who may object. They might say, yeah, yeah, it's true. I didn't 
you know, I didn't choose the way my brain functions, but given how it functions, I still am the one making that ultimate decision. And it's like that ultimate decision is rooted in all of that stuff you didn't have control over. So if you didn't have yeah. control over that, then you couldn't have control over the decision because there's just too much that's, that's not yours. Um, so to the pros and cons, though, of which you started to. So you said there's a con in that, that it's counterintuitive. Let's get into those pros and cons. Maybe we'll start with that one. Is the, it, When you say that's a con, it's a con in getting people to adopt it? Or do you think it's an actual con for the person to believe it, that it actually like makes them worse off in some way? To adopt I believe that, yeah, okay. there is a good way. And in a way, my book is an attempt to do that. There is a way, a much better way than what has been attempted at some in some studies to explain to people, people that there is no free will, but it, that it absolutely doesn't mean that all those negative consequences have to follow. So yeah, I, I believe that it yeah. can be done in a good way. So yeah, I can maybe go through pros and cons very briefly, and then you can say which ones should we dig deeper Beautiful. in. Perfect. So pros, I have five. <laughs> One, not believing in free will won't contradict the scientific worldview. Yeah. And doing the opposite will contradict the scientific worldview. Two, it will lead to more compassion towards others. Yeah. Three, it will lead to more compassion towards ourselves. Yeah. Four, it will make us less arrogant and more humble. Yeah. And five, it will help us make sense of mental illness in a scientific and compassionate way. Yeah. So it's combines the scientific number one and the number two, the compassionate uh, understanding. So these are the pros and the cons. I have three, depends how you divide. And you already (laughs) asked about the first one for sure. The con is that not believing in free will possibly will be uncomfortable, an uncomfortable, unpopular and counterintuitive opinion. So, but we can work on that. <laughs> Number two, uh, not believing in free will seemingly undermines good moral qualities and takes away our achievements. Mm. It hurts. <laughs> and number three, it seemingly promotes bad immoral qualities. Philosophers call it the lazy argument, but I call it the couch potato argument. So mm. that it, seemingly encourages the the um yeah the couch potatoes so these are my three cons i like i like so let's start with the cons just because i tend to be a cynical skeptical person (laughs) pack those first and kind of understand i know we touched on the first one so let's get into let's get into that second one let's get into the second con and how do you think about i i guess you net out saying that not believing in free will is still the better way to go. So how do you overcome that con? What is the response to that? Uh, you mean, so you're talking about the first one? Or the second one. The second one. Is that yeah. It undermines good qualities. Exactly. So, yes. So it undermines good qualities. And there are papers published. There is one paper for sure saying they gave their participants a description that kind of talks about determinism. Mm-hmm. And then they tested those who read about determinism. They were cheating more. They cheated more. So, okay, example of, and and there is a bunch of researchers who kind of like promote this research. And I find it very kind of unfortunate because, and also there are papers that uh, have counter arguments explaining mm-hmm. that it's 
it's very incorrect and unfair to, to deal like this with, with the topic because um, what is going on is that uh, they confuse the reader uh, by making them believe that determinism is fatalism. Hmm. Determinism is not fatalism. Determinism only means that there is explanation for everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Basically like science does. <laughs> and of course, there is a question of random thing, but it doesn't rescue free will anyway. So, uh, but fatalism, it's resignation to the events. And, and it's, if you give some text to people to read about fatalism, I believe that they might uh, not want to do anything because fatalist is someone who comes to a restaurant and sits there and the waiter comes and they're not doing anything. They're just waiting for decision to be made. <laughs> like, they're not doing anything, but, but it's not... Determinism doesn't mean that you are not supposed to act or you sit on as a couch potato. Yeah. Also, Daniel Dennett, a very mm -hmm. famous uh, philosopher, talked about this OCD person chip in the brain uh, thought experiment, which very surprises me very much because it totally confuses determinism with fatalism. Basically, the person uh, says, I don't have to do, you know, like, basically, it's not my. Uh, yeah, the, mm. uh, it, it it's yeah it surprises me because it's a confusion and for me it was important in Just City to emphasize uh, more like along Carl Sagan's uh, vision that we are creators of our own value system and moral credo and that's what the main character does basically after all the. <laughs> suffering he goes through and uh, misconceptions he creates his uh um, um credo uh, that is not dictated by any dogma any religion uh, but that does not believe in free will and i don't know if it's too much spoiler if i read the the credo <laughs> no I, i'm good with it you're good okay then so he basically uh at the end, uh, towards the end of the book, he's, he writes on a black on the whiteboard that I am my connectum, my brain network. There is no free will that is free from physics and biology, no soul. If I were born into a different family with different genes, my connectum would be different and I would be making different decisions and ending up in a very different situation. At the same time, my connectum constantly chooses its subjective values and courses of action. So here they are. First, I choose to be kind. No natural or supernatural law tells me this. Humans simply get to choose which world they want to live in. My understanding of the fact that I am just my connectum helps me uh, feel humility and compassion for others because it could have been me always. I also choose to feel compassion for myself when things are tough. And when things are good, I choose to replace the feeling of pride with gratitude because, hello? <laughs> Second, I also choose to seek truth and base my actions on objective truth, the reality, whether I like it or not. This is what reason and rationality mean to me. 
The scientific method is the pursuit of this objectivity. Beliefs in the supernatural, soul, gods, afterlife, synchronicities, telepathies, etc., are understandable, but have no evidential basis. The burden of proof lies with those who make such claims. Such beliefs can easily lead to injustice due to their subjectivity, against which rationality and facts are helpless. So he he writes down this and then <clears throat> writes two words to summarize it, love and reason, basically. <clears throat> it's so interesting because it, as you dig into it there's like a semantics aspect to it which is important but not you don't want to overweight it and then there's just kind of understanding what's at the core of it right because in that there's the idea of choosing i choose this and i think based on how you're explaining it and how you're explaining determinist versus fatalist it's not that a determinist or somebody that doesn't believe in free will doesn't still there aren't still there's still choices there there's things you're doing it's yes. just an acknowledgement that i didn't actually like nothing yes. I did directly that I could have done differently led yes. me to this choice. I am taking this action right now because I have to take action. But the humility that you speak of, I think, comes from this idea that like almost in some ways, like I'm just here for the ride. And my part in this is now to take this action because that's what my mind has told me to do. So I will do it. Yes. So that's kind of the semantic piece of it. That word choose, like it's kind of choose indicates that there's an action happening towards a decision. It doesn't, in, in the way you're explaining it, suggest that you had control over it, though, that you could have done it differently. And I think that's the semantic parts. that's the important distinction. The other piece of it is obviously, and you, you hit it somewhat head on in that quote, I imagine it's part of the reason people get uncomfortable with it is that sense of like, well, then there's no meaning, right? If, if there's no soul, if there's no essence to me and who I am, that had I literally me been born into a different life circumstance, a different family, a different location, I would be a completely different person. There's nothing about me that would remain. I'm not saying it's not true, but people, I would imagine, struggle with that. It almost feels blasphemous for some people to think that we're that empty and void. Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot there, more of a word jumble than anything. But what's the reaction to, to kind of those thoughts as you think yes. about it? This is where I find Carl Sagan's philosophy is the best. Yes, nature has no meaning. There is no teleology in nature, in natural laws. We want it, we crave it, but there is none. But in his famous Pale Blue Dot uh, book, Carl Sagan uh, ends his very beautiful, I also cite partially in the book, he says, so let's cre create ourselves a worthy goal. Because... There is none given to us, but let's create ourselves a worthy goal. A worth is that you you find is worth living in. Yes, exactly. You say otherwise, it's kind of empty. But the beauty, it's like the freedom and the responsibility of choosing that goal. It's like, it's kind of cool, but it's also like a little, maybe, maybe a little heavy for some people. But thankfully, we have so many... People, well, books and, and if, on that too like if you zoom out and this is just kind of getting it figuring it out so we're all speaking the same language like that that goal that we choose in some ways it's not it's not our choice again right like that goal if we if we do follow Carl, Carl Sagan's yes. view of it and we do choose a wonderful beautiful loving kind world we didn't actually choose it it was a function of just if you if you trail back as far as we can go, whether that be the Big Bang or before that, something set a sequence of events in place that will lead us to realizing Carl Sagan's vision. Right? We didn't we didn't actually choose it. Um, and beyond that, even determining that that is the best outcome, right? That being kind or loving or whatever it might be, there's a um, like what's that rooted in? Like there's an arbitrary nature to it. 
I, I would imagine like there's something that that feels like again back to that meaningless term like wh why is that relevant like we didn't make it relevant so like you know yeah. what I mean? you know what i mean yeah it's true it's true some people argue for some partial, partial biological meaning because it it, it does help uh, societies live Fair. and thrive. Yep. Okay. Uh, but some, but of course, we know how many arguments there are still about moral values. So uh, I go for the simplest one. The whole book, Just City, is uh, about, it starts with the experiment where the main character, Nathan, is playing the game based on a veil of ignorance. You basically, John Rawls is a philosophical idea. You basically, he chooses, he chooses about the laws and regulations of this just city before he knows who he is. And then the dice roll and he finds out what gender, what race, what talents, health, everything he is. And he has to live his round with the laws that he has chosen while he didn't know it. And he comes in reality, like in real life from a like privileged uh, <laughs> situation. And so it, for him, that's what becomes eye-opening. But what you were asking, uh, in a way, uh, well of ignorance, it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's the idea of walking in somebody's shoes, like one one reviewer wrote, it's like the concept, the idea of walking in somebody's shoes on steroids. Mm -hmm. It's basically, mm -hmm. you, you're playing a virtual reality game where you have to play with as someone with laws that you kind of picked. And uh, at the same time, this idea is kind of like something very, very, very simple. It's a golden rule. Mm -hmm. So you can say, it's you you find out what it feels like and you basically the golden rule is you, you treat others like you want to be treated yourself and you can have the world first you can have the world the one the one you want to live in and plus others you know you probably notice uh, it, the text says it could have been me mm -hmm. that's what Nathan learned from this game because he kind of like oh he would see a homeless person sitting in the street like, oh, these guys are having a bad round, you know, like he's having a bad round, like in, in reality, you know, like thinking like, uh, and and another one, there is something terrible is done by a homeless person. And it's for him so like, he's he's been like hit very strongly, like, and like for doing something good, it's like bizarre. And but then he still understands it could have been me. He looks at this person who did something horrible, and he has learned that it could have been him. Yeah. So uh, basically, those choices you're asking, like, so where do we get those choices? I would say a good one is to start with is to think like. What would I choose if I were everyone? Mm -hmm. <laughs> everyone. <laughs> See, that's the irony of it is that when you do that, when you say like, okay, what, what, what is it for me? The golden rule, how would I want to be treated? It puts, and I'm, I'm, we'll work through this together. So I, I may not articulate this right the first time, but like it puts like, if, if you're looking for like a grounding, if you're looking for something to root your, your, the belief system in to say, this is, this is how I want to act. This is the world I want to live in. It comes back to you and how you are. But in this belief that free will isn't real, who you are isn't really anything, right? There's no real, I don't want to say there's no substance to it, but it's it's this like 
coming together of all these different events and sequences and genes and all this different stuff, which in many ways is kind of this dispersed thing, which says you could argue that there's nothing to it. So when I say, well, the thing that guides me most in the world is the golden rule, how I want to be treated. Well, how do I know that how I want to be treated is the right thing? If I try and break that down and use reason to say, here's why I can trust how I wanting to be treated is the right way. Reason won't take us anywhere because there's no real free will in it. It's just all this other stuff that's outside of our control. And that could lead people to feel like, well, then why do I have, why does any of this have meaning? Why do I care if, and this is a weird thing to say, but you'll understand like, why do I care if that homeless person's on the street? Why do I care if I do something good and people are more kind in the world? Like, how do I know that any of it's relevant? And that's where it almost circles back to like a spiritual view in a weird way. Like, as you said it, I want to do what's best for everybody. That can't help but feel godlike and spiritual to say that there's something here. There's some reason why suffering is bad and goodness is good. Maybe it's biological, as you said. Maybe it's just innate in us that suffering feels wrong and we're we're against it. But in in a world where free will isn't real, is it not true that there's no reason to believe good is good and bad is bad? Like it's not it's not rooted in anything we can put our finger on. I I don't know. I think like probably you and I would, and most people would say. You know, when you do something good, have you have you had this feeling that's like better than anything? And and like I But is that is that you because we're conditioned? That. Are huh? we conditioned for that though? Is there actual substance to that or is that just because of the world? Yeah, world definitely. World? Everything is evolved and partially evolved, but of course partially cultural mm -hmm. and, and and upbringing and everything. But yeah, we know that uh, there is evolutionary drive for altruism and like in, even in animals. And so it can be, yeah, it can be a combination of different factors, but that can give us a good pointer. Like, hey, maybe I, I choose for myself, I write down on my whiteboard, my, my system, which aligns with that feeling, but of course, you can also say, well, but other things also feel good that are not as moral. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But it's for me, it's like there is a hierarchy, like a Maslow pyramid of 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 values. You know, like yeah, I feel this one is pretty high. <laughs> it should be. It definitely. There's like a contradiction in it, and I, I agree with you. I, I personally believe, as best as I can tell free will is an illusion. None of us should really have pride for anything because it, right. I think we all could have been Hitler to some extent, right. In the right conditions, the right circumstances. So I agree with you on that. But as you think about it, there seems to be a natural contradiction of like, I, I, I think, oh, let me put out the, the thesis and then let's debate it. Um, if you truly believe free will doesn't exist, you also have to believe that life is meaningless. Right now, I, I think we're having that discussion and I'm not saying it's true. Unless but, we come up with the meaning. Yes. But, but yeah. that's where I that's where I think the contradiction becomes like as soon as we start coming up with the meeting, the meaning by accepting the idea that free will isn't real. It's it's like we can't come up with it. We're not actually coming up with it. Our history is coming up with it because we're not actually at the driver's yes. seat here. Yes. We're not making yes. the decisions. You know I what understand. I mean? How do you I, deal with I that? Contradiction? Yeah. And um, as for, um, can I first touch what you, um, what you said about um, uh, you all, you said you also don't believe that free will exists. Yeah. And I, um, uh, I understand that there are some different ways, like there are philosophy of uh, logical, logic philosophy uh, uh, proofs of that. And I find it cool, but I'm a scientist. So for me, actually, uh, and I don't even believe in like, I don't care much for empirical proofs of no free will, you know, like Libet experiments. I, yeah, I, yeah. 
I'm not very interested in that. For me, is that the premise of, of science is there is a natural physical explanation for everything. Mm. So free will would imply free from physics. Mm. And it's, you know, it's not something science does. It's like, it's, uh, you know, it's from the realm of, I don't know, be beliefs. Like, like it just... Uh, it, it's just it's just not possible you know of course you can say yeah let's argue about premises of science but you know i'm a hardcore scientist for yeah. me there's no not no no brainer basically to yeah, just... it's almost like the idea of creating something out of nothing right like yeah. you can't yes. do that it's it's that yes. energy existed it's yes. just converted to something else it's, it's the exactly. same with our actions it was there and we just yeah exactly, exactly. Yeah. but then going back to saying after saying that i want to go back to i think think what you're what you're getting at and if i may also quote a conversation of uh, main character in just city with his grandmother towards the end of the book he says after all you know his <laughs> difficult experiences everything he says okay so basically there is no free will on a deep level Physics determines everything. But does it matter in everyday life that there is no free will in this deep sense? In our perception, we still do have to decide what to do every day. I ask thinking about all the decisions I, I must make about my startup. It's Nathan speaking. Mm -hmm. Good question, Grandma says. It doesn't seem to matter for your everyday decisions and actions. And there is still seems to be this almost overwhelming freedom of choices of what to do and how to be. It definitely feels like we have free will. This is, however, deep. There is, however, deep importance to remembering that it's not true. So we don't sink into the delusion of. I would have never done that, or I couldn't have fallen that low and so forth. Basically, remembering that part can allow people to have more compassion and not separate themselves as much from others as if they had some kind of special little godly soul that descends into their body. And that that's who they truly are with all the excuses and understandings they have for their own little soul, but the canyon of separation from others. We are just our connectums. I, I, I love the use of the novel in this to explore it because it's almost how you have to do it. It's almost a scientific way to it, even though it's I had fiction. To do it. I had to write the book. You have to write the book so you can see it play out. And like, what are the actual interactions? What are the actual implications yes. of it? It's almost like a long form thought experiment of what this looks yes. like. So yeah. I love it. I love it. And and I find myself grappling with that same concept. I think it's right at the core. It's the perfect quote because it's right at the core of what we're talking about. Like, so let's let's play it out a little bit in, in the terms of like real life characters. This might seem silly, but I think it, it'll be useful. So like if we take if we take Nathan as, as a character, right? So this idea is he's now realized that free will doesn't really exist, right? And as he said, on a deep level, there's nothing to it. It's all explainable, it's all the rules of physics. I get it. On a day-by-day -day basis, though, I think what the grandmother is trying to explain is that there's some benefit still to, 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 there's something to take away from that that you can use to make your life better. That using it to make your life better, and this may, this might be like the philosophical like word games that people hate. And if that's what it is, then tell me and I don't want to do it. But as soon as Nathan takes that thing and uses it to make his life better, there's almost like a, a suggestion of free will in that. 
that he was able to do something he wouldn't have otherwise been able to do. But I know we're not saying that. So yeah, what is I understand. I understand. I I feel yeah, I feel the same. That that kind of uh, we are going back like, but he's not free to begin with. So what's going on? Is it grandma's influence? But she's also not right, free. She's all like, uh, yeah, yeah, yes, yes. I also at some point I was like, what does it mean? Others have more influence on us. Yeah. <laughs> so how do you make sense? Like in your mind, is it is it like? Because I think what I'm ultimately looking for in general, but this conversation is an awesome way to illustrate it, is I, I want the answer, the meaning of life. I want to know why we're here. And I'm totally fine if the answer is there's no reason. Like it was just a sequence of events that happened and it played out and there's nothing to it and we're just along for the ride. Okay, if that's what it is. But then if there's some suggestion, which I agree with, the sensation that like, but what we do day to day does matter. And it does have an impact. And I do want to treat people good. And if we do have more compassion, that's a better thing. Well, that seems to say, no, no, no. Well, then it's not nothing. There is meaning to it. Then I say, okay, I'm good with that. Where did that meaning come from? Like, why are we set on this path to even think that compassion is better for us? Like, what, what's what's the base level of it? Is is the way you do it, Olga, is to say, like, I don't know the base level. I don't know the first principles answer to meaning of life or why we're here. I just know we don't have control over it. But our realization of that somehow is better for us. Is that how you think? Yes, it? definitely. And I do see the freedom for you to create your own life credo, like like Nathan does. But we can do you can do it differently. It can sound different, and you own it basically in the sense that um, you and you can revise it too. Meaning has two meanings. <laughs> meaning of life. Some people mean like it's something given, right? Like something from like. Uh, as if like teleologically there was meaning for like in order to for, mm, for mm. something to happen but then there is a meaning is like what's your goal it's simply your goal uh for your life and um i um i think that person can come up like i think for young people it's really great like what i I was suggesting in the book is actually to like write down something like this and and for older people also fine but I also can see for example periods of life in people's li uh, lives when they they are fine not having any mm. and it's more like um um I well well you can say maybe there is like enjoyment of presence more or, or like maybe it's also meaning you can say well just enjoy enjoy being present and like, like observing enjoying presence going through everyday things and just uh presence you know um that's also fine and and it can again it can be changing throughout life and the person can say okay and now my meaning will be different i maybe i have like a mission now like mm -hmm. later uh, so um but yes there is definitely no meaning in the other meaning <laughs> no, no given meaning because because from whom i mean yeah well that's the question right exactly, exactly <laughs> right and i guess like why not, and this is a genuine question, I'm not suggesting you should, but why not take the other view of this? So everything we're saying could be true, but take the more, maybe it's a cynical view, which says, um, to, back to the quote you just read and kind of the grandmother's view of it, that it matters in day-to-day -day life and, and the, the purpose and the meaning and, and that that all of that's just an illusion. Like it's it's literally just an illusion and we can't help but create it. In a weird way, it's it's almost as if like 
we've been given the ability to recognize the truth about our existence and that we don't have control over it. There is no free will. But ironically, we can't do anything about that. Like we're just now aware of it, but it doesn't to the point that free will doesn't exist. It doesn't change anything in us. So to, to make our lives tolerable because it's the only logical thing we could think to do, we've just created meaning. Maybe it's biological and that certain things bring us pleasure. And then over enough generations, that's kind of manifested out in multiple different ways to where it looks like there's all these different individuals that value different things. The only thing we value is pleasure and feeling good. And that's everything that drives us. Um, yeah. Anything else that we talk about, compassion, meaning, all that other stuff, that's just an illusion that we've created to to let the time pass by. Why don't you take that view of it? Um, I I remember, and I'm pretty sure philosophers have, have some formal uh, theory for that, but even yeah, yeah, yeah. as a young person, I remember also thinking about hierarchy, like I mentioned to you, hierarchy yep. of pleasures. And I, I insisted with my friends, I would call it pleasures. Mm. I would still call it pleasures, like compassion, uh, mm. full, full, like love, compassion, they are pleasures, but they are just on a higher level. And I think you can still say, okay, you take pleasure, but you might might develop and grow in your pleasures. You know, like um, maybe closer to, to the end of the life, some people develop very um, pleasures that look to us like real virtues you know mm -hmm. and they are pleasures i mean like how again i like even like i cannot deny that the pleasure of like sometimes helping someone even if like they don't see it you know like and and just it just it's hard to beat you can yeah. try yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so why not the why not the um I know you're a scientist, so it might be as simple as that, but the spiritual component of this, your view of it, is it that, listen, just from a scientific perspective, I can't say anything about that. So I just, that's why I don't speak to it. Or do you actually like, actually like actively believe like, no, that doesn't exist. I know that's not real. I know it's just, you know, hard science and physics. So it's like almost, it's like a, a spiritual version of the question whether i'm a um an agnostic or atheist yeah i guess so yeah yeah <laughs> am i a spiritual or yeah -spiritual? Uh, i must say i'm an anti-spiritual how come what's the reason yes. because it's the same reason if you ask me am i a unicorns or anti-unicorns of course i don't have any proof for you that there are no unicorns i and I'm not gonna look for them anymore. <laughs> uh, but I cannot say I'm a unicorn. You know, I just can't. I, so the difference with unicorns. So you said you're not gonna look for them. Does the sense of um, almost your belief system about free will? I would think I would think should lead you there. But maybe maybe we just think of it differently. Where if I believe there's no such thing as free will, it's all like again, like the most obvious reference point people would use is the Big Bang, right? Like that's where it all started. I know we can argue it started before that, but <laughs> the Big Bang happened, then a whole bunch of sequence of events happened, then you and I ended up on this conversation, right? There's no free will. If somebody had a supercomputer or the vision to see it, you could trace every step back to see how we got to this moment of why we're having this conversation. So I can understand that view of it, like very rigid, very scientific, uh, but doesn't it have to lead to the question of like, but what caused the Big Bang and why did that sequence of events happen and why those events at all? Yeah. How do you think about those questions? It doesn't enter like a spiritual realm then? Uh, you no, know, there is just semantics basically, because you can call it Big Bang Zero. 
sure. or, or God or spirit. I mean, like, what's what's the difference, you know, then? Because... But no desire to say, like, why? What, what, why is it there? Um, like, whether it be God, Big Bang, whatever, like, why did it happen? What's the... Is there an intention? Is there a deliberate nature to it? There's nothing in you that says, like, there's, there's got to be something or that I want to know what that thing is? I don't know. I'm very comfortable with this uh, with this set, like with the universe coming into existence uh, with certain laws that have no teleology behind them. Basically, they are purposeless laws. You know, why there is gravity, just gravity. You know, like I accept it as a set of laws. Okay, here is this existence. Uh, why it come for, I don't know. I'm probably supposed to be interested. <laughs> well, it's a funny question because it starts to blur and you wonder like, which side is it on philosophy or science now? Because like, I can understand from a scientific perspective where you would say like, it's not, it's not my interest to try and dig in and see exactly why and what was the intention. And I get that because you start to get into philosophy and meaning of life, but also on a scientific level, it kind of leaves the question like, we're not finished yet though. Like we haven't, there's laws that exist. Gra why does gravity exist though? Even if not spiritual, a desire to want to know at a very first principle base level, why yeah. is that thing there? It feels very scientific, that curiosity towards it. Yeah, but again, like science starts with the premise we are dealing with those things that can be ex explained. I guess I maybe I just don't have much hope that I'm useful of any use in <laughs> in that endeavor. I, th I think I, I can be applied to a better <laughs> yeah I, I get that so i guess let's wrap well, let's at least wrap this part of it with that as we're coming towards the end so bringing it back to the book bring it back to nathan and, and this view of it okay so the output of this you touched on before the five pros of this belief so maybe this will kind of bring that piece of it back to it if you were trying to convince people right if you were trying to say like here's again why i think this belief is so important how have you found it to benefit your life that you now that you hold that belief that free will you don't believe in free will have you seen tangible things in your life where you could say, this is why I genuinely believe this is a better way to view it? Yes. Um, I do think that um, from those pros, uh, from those pros, they, they are the benefits for me. Uh, more compassion for others. It is sometimes hard. You know, people are hard sometimes. <laughs> And it does help. I mean, I, you 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 know that you know you know they are the consequence of, and it it would it would have been me. And um, in the book, there is also kind of a uh, some characters that are spiritual, and they and they like in meditations talk like about when person walks into the room, you can think of it like, oh, this is me in disguise. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of the spiritual version of "Hey, it would, I, it would have been me. It could have been me because oh. my connect. It could have been me. So these two kind of equivalents, and both help me. I use sometimes one, sometimes the other when dealing with difficult people. Uh, so it helps. Uh, it helps because you you can if you know sometimes feel like some 
animosity, like some, something with, with a person you have uh, problems and you just like for a second think like it's me in disguise and it's like, ooh, <laughs> it's, it, it shakes everything up and uh, or like it could have been me, exactly. Um, to, compassion towards ourselves, uh, I think it's, it's, it, it does help the same way as for others. One shouldn't forget ourselves, like mm. never forget yourself when you're talking about compassion mm. because you are, you are also you're also struggling in dealing with all the consequences and um, uh, of all these things, and only you know how how hard it can be sometimes for you. So uh, then making us less arrogant and more humble. Basically, the word the word proud fell off my, uh, like <laughs> from my dictionary. Yep, yep. <laughs> fell out <laughs> straight in straight on the floor. <laughs> so there is no proud, which is weird. People are like what? So yes, yes. So you get a medal, like you for the yeah. book, and then you know you're grateful. So and, and, and I guess to that, Olga. So the drive to still write that book to get that medal isn't for your own ego in any way because as you said there's no pride in it it's just what you're doing is it a sense of like this is just what i do this is what i enjoy is it a sense of like i'm helping others and therefore i enjoy it what's the motivation then uh yes helping others is is so so great like to know wow if if someone says like oh it actually helped me to look at something differently it's the best but i cannot claims that I don't feel pride. I mean, it fell out of my vocabulary because I don't, because it makes no sense. But I cannot say that the feeling doesn't like arise by itself. But I, I decided a long time ago to deal with undesirable qualities like that um, in a way to use them. Okay, so if pride does come out, just then get, sit down like you know if you if you want to prove someone something and you have pride then use that energy to just get the work done you know i'm i'm a human come on <laughs> so, but but in theory it it does not make sense because right like right as a concept yeah and the last uh, fifth pro it help us make sense of mental illness uh, in a scientific compassionate way it's also hard for some people to deal with people with uh, mental disorders. And uh, many people attempted, for example, if they have like a spouse or a family member like with major depressive disorder, like how, how one wants to say, hey, pull yourself together, like do something, do something. Like, and even you, you, you want to say it with love because you want them to feel better, but you, but uh, understanding that, hey, this is their brain. And, you know, it's easy for people to, uh, and also in the book, I talk about the famous case about like damage to the brain when that turns people into pedophile or like tumors that then gets extracted and the person is bad and then it grows bad. You know, people accept those. Like when there is a big damage or big tumor that it changes them, that, that, they somehow don't have as much free will or that they they kind of forgive them certain things but how about on a le lesser scale <laughs> it's the same thing mm -hmm. 
why why small changes like why tiny concussions like mm-hmm. most people have or in general every little influence every everything you eat drink mm-hmm. take medication everything run talk everything you learn everything you it all makes your brain so how how and also with mental illness it's easier said than done pull your pull yourself together and it's not how it works and it's um yeah so i think i i hope it can uh, help people understand that it's complex this complex organ uh, has different sometimes there are different patterns of aberrations and that's what psychiatric disorders are and you can't just like hey why don't i build build a little bit of gray matter in that area you know like (laughs) You just you cannot do doesn't it. Doesn't work that way. Yeah, it just doesn't work that way. <laughs> no, I think it's a great like summation of because I do I do think the benefits of it are are very real on our day to day's life on our day to day life. And it's not all that. It's kind of like the scientific view of why like eliminating your ego or at least trying to control your ego and like having that better perspective, um, trying to understand your own insecurities and blind spots and all that. Like in some ways, it's all in that vein. It's trying to get yourself to be kind of as neutral as possible. It's almost Buddhist in some ways, as you look at it, to try and just look at it as we're all kind of one and we all view it in this way. And I think even this conversation, the book, the complexity of it, as we've been kind of going through in this conversation, to me, like, and this this isn't a spiritual comment, it's just, it's as best as I can see it. Like, it it it's us as humans, like trying to make sense of our existence on the fly. It's like us starting to get glimpses into parts of it that our consciousness allows us to see that arguably, I don't know if we were never meant to see, or at least it's just at a level in which is not in our comprehension yet. Like starting to make sense of free will and the, like the way that you're explaining it, it almost doesn't fit into our human existence. Like the same little issues we keep running into, like, but wait, if there's no free will, then how do we know this matters? And it's almost like we can't comprehend it yet. And it, it just suggests mm-hmm. like the complexity and the nuance of the human existence. And this is us trying to make sense of it. And we just fully can't do it. And that's yeah. super interesting. And I think like a good example of that is we're illustrating in this conversation is, you know, somebody could say, like you said, with mental illness, like just pull your stuff up from your bootstraps. And I could see somebody saying like, but there's gotta be some element of that. There's some element of willpower or like resiliency yeah. or grit. And yes. Again, in the spirit of what we're talking about, it is true that willpower and grit is a thing that allows us to do difficult things. Yes. It's just a realization that the source of that willpower and grit wasn't yours. You didn't exactly. do anything to earn it. Even yes. if you went to like a really tough boarding school and built discipline, the reason you went to that boarding school was beyond your control. The reason your parents had the idea in their head for you to go there. So you can still have grit and willpower, but still yes. believe free will exactly. doesn't exist. And that's complicated. Exactly. That's the counterintuitiveness you were talking about, right? Exactly. Especially yeah. because willpower and free will even sounds similar. Yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> how can we will? How can we have willpower if we don't have free will? <laughs> yes, so true. So true. Yeah. So I love it. I love this conversation. Okay, As most, to me, it leaves, it ultimately comes down to your view of the world, right? I still, I find in doing this show, I, I'm learning more about myself that I have this, I, maybe I do have this more nihilistic view of it, which is like, I think if we're being really honest and we take this no free will thing to the extreme, none of this matters. Like none of it, there's no meaning to it. None of it matters. There's no reason to have compassion in the world. I don't want to believe that. And I don't live that way at all. And maybe that's part of that uncomfortableness of diving too deep into it. Cause it kind of feels like that Nietzsche quote of like, if you look too long into the abyss, it starts looking back at you. That's kind of what I get from this. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of put that philosophical big macro view aside, I think everything you're saying and the benefits that it brings to people, 
I've experienced it myself. I've seen it in others. And most importantly, like logically, it just makes sense that it's true. So I think it's super valuable. Um, let me give you the last word. I know you have a couple other interesting tidbits on the book, which I which I'd love to hear. Uh, and again, the link to that and all this work, if people want to continue on it, it will be in the show notes. So let me kick it to you for the last word. Olga. Thank you. Yeah, I just thought that maybe uh, you readers might find it interesting to um, uh, hear uh, kind of some fun or interesting facts about the book. So before publishing it, uh, number one, before publishing it, I ran two candidate titles uh, with, by my friends, uh, My Free Will and Just City. So ah. Just City one. <laughs> I like Just City. I like to play on words. I like it. So the second one, it took me over four and a half years to write, and some people read it in three hours. Huh. And there is, a, there is also an audiobook version, which is very nice, um, uh, and it, it lasts for four hours. Uh, so, well, another fact, which is very obvious to you, I'm not a native speaker of English, uh, but I had a lot of help with the writing of the book. Uh, another fact, I had an amazing book coach, um, uh, Casey Carr, and what it means, so, so I had to submit 10 pages to her monthly, or I would lose money. So you, you kind of pay for deadlines. So... It, I think it's the only way why why some people finish books is just <laughs> with help like that. Another fact, I used Lisa Kron's uh, Story Genius. It's a, it's a book, uh, Story Genius uh, technique for writing, hopefully a captivating story. She, she actually gives like a formula how to do it. And um, so the key message of the book actually is summarized by a quote of Professor Sapolsky. You do not have to choose between being scientific and being compassionate. And it's basically the, the, the essence of the book uh, is in, this, in this quote. And the last one is in, maybe an interesting fact. With this book, I ambitiously hope to raise $5,000 in royalties for my home country, Ukraine. Um, I'm still working on it. But yeah, so these are just a few things I wanted to, to share. That's cool. That's cool. And I hope you hit that target for obvious reasons for your home country, but also for yourself. And selfishly for the world like and for myself because i i genuinely believe the things you're writing about the topics the way you're getting into the nuance the complexity of it forcing people to think about things even if they don't get the message exactly the way it's intended even if they don't see it the same way going through the exercise they're going to get some of the benefits you've said so i hope you do hit that target and, and then some um but this is awesome well i super enjoyed this conversation um i have not read the book completely yet i actually did some pre-work on it but i'm excited to read it because this is the type of stuff i love to think about so thanks a ton for the work you're doing um being on the show for the book all of it thank you terry thank you so uh, much hope and you have an awesome you. rest of your day listeners Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, so in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account 
um, that would be awesome if you check out. I'll put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty simple though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their toe in it a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it. Um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day. Um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses. Or if you want to have a live one-on-one chat over Zoom, um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, as I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives. And I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly. And I hope you have an awesome day.